in a powerful way. So I believe there's power in a trip. Number two, God showed me this this week in Exodus chapter 23, and I, I, love, I love how routine God is. We have to understand our seasons of life. We have to understand our seasons of life. Look at verses 15 through 17. Because within, within kind of this boring little vernacular, there's an unbelievable piece of truth that I want to show you. God says, celebrate the festival of unleavened bread. For seven days, eat bread made without yeast as I commanded you. Do this at the appointed time. Underline the words at the appointed time. All these things we find out are going to happen at appointed times that revolve around busy seasons of life. Do this at the appointed time. In the month of Aviv, for in that month you came out of Egypt. No one's to appear before me empty-handed. Verse 16, celebrate the festival of harvest with the first fruits of the crops. Underline the first fruits of the crop. This is, again, a calendar designation. For us, this would be September, October, when, when we start plowing the fields. Celebrate the festival in gathering at the end of the year. Underline at the end of the year. I want to show you what God's doing here. When you gather in the crops from your field three times, a year, all the men are to appear before the sovereign Lord. Do you know yourself well enough to understand your seasons of life? Do you know yourself well enough to understand when you're going at a breakneck pace that there's an end to that? Do you, do you know when burnout's coming? Because I have learned, I've learned myself really, really well. Um, I, I had an uncomfortable procedure this week at the doctor's office. Uh, I grew up country boy in southern Ohio. And if you grew up like me, like, like when you run around in the country, you never wear a shirt growing up. Like maybe shoes, but you never wear a shirt. Whether you're bailing hay, whether you're fishing, whether you're playing basketball at the park, whether you're just riding bikes through town, like you just never wear a shirt. So I, I grew up, I grew up always in the summer running around without a shirt on, very suntan, probably always very sunburned. And now later in life, you hear that that's not good for people. So I go to the doctor, and I, I've got, in my, my dad, I've got a similar complexion to my dad. His mom's got a little Native American, and it'll get real dark real fast. And my dad recently has started dealing, after a life of coaching, with all kinds of, you know, spots of melanoma and stuff. He's had chunks taken out of his head and off both shoulders and forearms. Um, and he's told me, you, know, you should probably start getting yourself checked out. So I started going to the doctor several years ago. And man, they just start whacking these moles off of me. I mean, like I look like I've been tortured by Jack Bauer. I mean, it just looks like I just got these scars everywhere where they cut these things off to make sure they're not cancerous. Well, a couple weeks ago, I went, I had one chopped off and they called back and they said, this one doesn't look good. We, we, need, to, we need to take a much larger chunk out of, your, out of your back and make sure nothing bad's going on. I said, all right. So I go into the doctor's office. I was scared for a week because I had a bad experience at the dentist when I was in sixth grade. You say, what happened? I had a bad experience at the dentist. That if I talk about it, I'll pass out and fall off the stage. So I, I had a bad experience. So I don't do real well at doctors and dentists. So I, I go into the room. I was nervous all day. Um, you know, and the nurse comes in. And she said, here's what we're going to do. And I said, don't tell me because if I know, I'm going to pass out. I just, just numb it, do it. Send me home, but if I think about it, I'm gonna pass out. It's okay. So the doctor came in and he said, Hey, you know, my name's Gary Christian. He said, Hey, Gary, how you doing? I was like, Well, that's not me, but all right. And he's like, Here's what we're gonna do today. I said, Don't tell me. If you tell me, I'm gonna pass out. And he's like, Well, have you had a bad experience? I was like, Yeah, you know, like every time I go to the dentist and, you know, I probably haven't passed out in a year, but I see this, you know, I'm a little nervous. If I pass out, just finish, wake me up when it's over. 
He said, well, what causes you to pass out? So I, you know, I said, knowing what's going on and trying to think in my head, how deep are they cutting? How much blood is it? I said, I can't do that. And I said, there's this little machine that they use um, that's like a branding machine, cauterizes stuff. And like when they cut you, like it's a little thing that burns the wound closed. And I said, when I hear my flesh burning and I smell it, it makes me uncomfortable. I said, I said so if you could not do that, if you could not do that, that'd be good. And he said, I'll, I'll, try, I'll try not to do that. And if I do it, I won't tell you. And I thought, dude, I can hear. So we're, we're going through the process and I'm laying, they got me face down on this table. They've already kind of tipped me upside down because they said I need to have blood flowing to my head. So I feel like my head is going to explode. Chewing gum just to try to give myself something to do. We're talking, they're cutting. I, you know, I can feel pressure, but nothing else. And he turned the machine on. I heard it. I heard the vibe. I thought, oh no. And then I heard tss. And I started smelling my burning flesh. <laughs> and, I, and I say to the guy, I said, I'm very uncomfortable now. And he said, he said, you're going to be okay. And I've done this enough that I mean, I know exactly how it works. He said, just talk me through it. And I said, I'm, I got to I got to sit up. I'm going to pass out. And he says, no, no, you can't sit up. And I said, I've got to sit up. I'm going to pass out. And he's like, no, because there's an open wound on my back. So he's like holding my head down and I'm like laying, I'm, I'm reaching for the scalpel. I'm like, I will, I'll cut my way out of here. I'm like, I got to get up. And he's like, you can't just relax. So he's like, got my head pinned down. The nurse is like trying to grab my arms because they're flailing. It's like, just relax. And I'm like, don't touch me. I got to, I got to get up. Like you can't get up. And then everything just started going numb. And I was like, my body's tingling. Doc, my body's tingling. And he's like, you're going to be okay. And I can't breathe. I had gum on my mouth. So I took my gum. I was like, I'm going to choke on my gum. So I threw my gum on the floor. He's like, you're going to be all right. And I was like, everything's tingling. I'm going numb. It's getting dark. Like I'm talking through this, right? And I mean, the light just starts going out and he's like, and, I, and I'm gone. And I knew it. I mean, it, it happens enough. It's gone. Like I come to, I don't know, probably a second or two later. There's like all these people in the room. They've got my legs up in the air and they're massaging them. I can hear before I can see. So they're like breathing with me, like deep breath in, long breath out. My legs are in the air. I'm doing Lamaze. I'm like, am I giving birth? Like what, what is, what is, what is happening right now? Slowly I come to, and like the adrenaline spike to bring me back to life, like I start sweating profusely. So I'm laying face down. I'm drowning in my sweat now. I'm like shaking my head. And then I feel bad that I've treated, and I'm like, thank you for, thank you for helping me come back to life, doctor. It's like, it's all right. It's like, I'm sorry for throwing my gum on the floor. And he's like, it's, it's, it's okay. We're just, we're almost done. So they get done, and they finish, and he says, now stand up. So I stand up and that, like the little paper thing that's on the doctor's table, it has fused to my body because the sweat. So I look like an art project now. I look like a paper, like paper mache man. So he leaves and this nurse is standing there and it takes her like 10 minutes to peel all this paper mache off my chest. And while she's doing, she's scratching me and she goes, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And I just start laughing and I said, I told you this was going to happen. Like, can you just knock me out next time? And she starts... I, I know myself. I do that too often. I knew that was going to happen. If we can learn the seasons of our life that burn us out, and we can know when they're going to end, and we can rest a little bit before we head into those, and we can rest a little bit when we're done. Like if we can look ahead enough to know the seasons of our life, to plan our trips around that, it could radically change the level of burnout that we always feel. 
Look at this. God asked his people to take their trips around their busy seasons of life, not during them. God knew that the people were going to be too busy at certain points to get away. So what did he say? If we look at verse 15, he said, Here's when to do this, the festival of unleavened bread. At the, at the very beginning of the year, at the appointed time, this was like their first month. Everyone in this culture was kind of a farmer. God said, this is going to be during the winter. No one's planting or sowing. You have time during this season of your life to get away for a week. I'm not going to ask you to do it when it's going to cost you money. I'm not going to ask you to do it when your kids are in school. But I know the patterns of your life. Look what he says in verse 16. Celebrate the festival of harvest with the first fruits of your crop. He said, listen, when the, when the first apple comes on the tree... Within a few weeks, the whole orchard's going to be full. So I want you to take that first one. I want you to get away for a day. But then you'll have to go back to work for seven weeks. But when you're done with those seven weeks, because you can't get away during those seven weeks. You're going to cost yourself time, money. You're going to ruin your life. Work when you need to work. But at the end of those seven weeks, celebrate the festival of ingathering. It's at the end of the year. You're done. You've worked hard. You, you need to catch your breath. You see, we're not smart enough to learn the seasons of our life when we go from one race to the next race, to the next race, to the next race. And we don't realize we need some time in between. So God asked his people to live within a yearly routine that was pretty standard for them. And he said, plan your, your life a year at a time. Realize when your really busy seasons are. And before those seasons, rest, get your energy up. And after those seasons, rest, get your energy up. Focus on the things that are really important and then keep moving forward. I had a conversation this week with three different businessmen, one businesswoman, two businessmen in our church. And I always ask them, um, how's, how's the business going? And they all said, man, the crazy time of year right now. And I ask them all the exact same thing. When's that end? And two of them could give me an end date. Oh, I know it will slow down July 1st. One of them said it will slow down right as school's beginning. And I said, do you have some plan to rest a little bit? Yes, after that time, well, one of them said, I, you know, I don't know when it's going to end. And I said, that's not good enough. Because if you don't know when a crazy season of life is going to end, it'll end when you're out of all your energy. So you've got to navigate your life. The question that we have to ask is, do you care enough to think a year at a time? Do you care enough? Listen, most of us, if you don't have a trip planned this year, you're not going to plan it. We don't have time. We don't have money. If we haven't started thinking about it, 2015 may be gone unless you can get away for a day or two. Or you can just take some time off to be with family. But what about next year? Our kids play sports at the same times. They go to school at the same times. The, the Lee Summit school year calendar, I'm sure the Ray Peck calendar, the Blue Valley calendars, the whole school year calendar is out for next year. Why don't you look at next year and say, when can we get away a little bit? And then realize, I love this, realize the purpose of the festivals was celebration and an expression of gratitude, not hibernation and a spirit of dissatisfaction. If you use your vacation to sleep and complain about the job that you have to go back to, you'll miss the opportunity to connect with your God and your spouse and your kids, your health and your hobbies. Don't get away just to sleep. Go away to celebrate with your family and reconnect with them. And then number three, again, God is so much smarter than we are. Number three, make vacation a part of every paycheck. I love how God does this. 23, look at, verse, look at the end of verse 15 through verse 17. Because God gives a, he gives a pretty, pretty big challenge here. 
He said, no one is to appear before me empty-handed. He said, you've got to bring something to me. When you come to these festivals, you've got to bring something. And he said, here's when to come. Celebrate the festival of the harvest with the first fruits of the crops you, show, you sow in your fields. He says, I'm gonna, it's going to cost you something to come, but I'm going to give you what you need before you come. And then celebrate the festival and gathering at the end of the year when you gather the crops from your field. So you're going to have to bring an offering of your crops too, but I'm not going to ask that from you until I give it to you. So when God gave to the people of Israel, he always gave them enough so they could set a little, set a little aside for their offerings and for their festivals. Because you're going to have to take a trip. I'm not going to ask you to take that trip until I start providing for you a little bit. So once you get that little bit, put some of it aside, take a trip. At the end of the year, I'm going to ask you to take a trip. I'm not going to ask you to take that trip until I've really invested in you. And then after I invest in you, take some of what I've given you and take a trip. He said, Christian, God hadn't given me enough money for vacation. Listen, God wants you to be thinking every time he invests in you, what can I give to God and what can I put away for that trip that we need to connect with God and each other in a powerful, powerful way. I know it's expensive. I know it'll cost a little bit. I know you'll have to sacrifice, but here's my question to you this morning. What is a biblically satisfying life according to God's priorities worth to you? What's the value of a biblically satisfying life according to God's priorities to you? Because I told you when we started this series, the goal for me, for our church, is that our church is made up of strong marriages, strong families, strong friendships and relationships. But sometimes we have to prioritize those things. And I was reminded of that this week when I saw the obituary of Beth O'Rourke. 44-year-old woman, and the uniqueness of her obituary is she wrote it herself. Seven years ago, she was diagnosed with a terminal disease that she knew would one day take her life. And I watched her husband in a news, news interview who basically said this, As soon as she was told she was going to die, she started living. Let me say that again. As soon as she was told she was going to die, she started living. And a few weeks ago, she wrote her obituary. And here's what Beth says. I died April 16th, 2015, surrounded by family, in the arms of my husband and Anamkara, which means soulmate, Brendan Patrick O'Rourke. I was 44 years old. I was a survivor. I was blessed in this life with two amazing children, Courtney Elizabeth, age 11, and Seamus Brendan, age 8. I loved all capital letters my life. I loved the long run, to sit quietly by the lake, to read and dance and sing and be silly with our children. We love watching summer storms blow across the water. I loved to chat and laugh with my sisters and friends until tears ran down our face. Brendan and I enjoyed many trips together. Most enjoyable were those to Ireland visiting family to share a pint and some good crike. And of course, sitting quietly on the porch with Brendan, listening to the Red Sox. I enjoyed working for a cause, among them the Pancreatic Cancer Alliance, whose members' spirit and dedication amazed me. Of all the things I did in this life, nothing compared to being with Brendan and our children. I fought every day to stay alive so that I could be with them. No person could ever ask for a more loving and supportive husband. Always my champion, always. I enjoyed every moment we shared. The great ones, the sad ones, the easy and the hard. I pray they've learned to feel the deep sense of faith that I had. No matter where all this journey brings me, 
I'll forever carry their love with me as I'm sure there's a piece of me that will forever remain with them. It's funny how quickly you get perspective when you're told your life is not going to last forever. And I don't know if you've thought about it yet, and I'm not a doctor, so I'm not going to give you a medical diagnosis. But spiritually, according to Scripture, all of us are dying someday. So when are we going to begin living with purpose? I saw something I've never seen before in my life when we landed Tuesday afternoon from Tampa. Got out of the airplane, looked out the window, and there was a, uh, there was a squad of Marines in their full-dress blues standing at attention next to our airplane beside the shiniest Lincoln hearse that you've ever seen in your life. And as we walked off, I told Danielle, something's going on. And sure enough, they were flying the body of one of our fallen soldiers back on our airplane. And they were waiting to take him or her to their final resting place. I've never seen an airport stop like that airport stopped. Airplanes going out to the runway coming in just stopped. People stopped getting off the plane. They didn't get any of the luggage up to the luggage place. And I watched as I circled the airport waiting for Danielle, these eight police cars that were waiting to escort this soldier to his final resting place. I mean, everything stood still while those Marines took their fallen brother or sister honorably to where he was supposed to go. And as that hearse surrounded on either side by four squad cars with flashing lights pulled out of that airport and headed down the road. I mean, it was like you could hear a pin drop in the cars driving around the airport. And I thought, man, that's what honor looks like. That's how you honor someone who lived with purpose. But you have to live with purpose to really die with honor. And there are a lot of us in here that because of the activities of our life and how they overwhelm us, we're not living with purpose when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. We're not living with purpose when it comes to our relationships with our spouse. We're not coming, we're not living with honor when it comes, uh, with purpose when it comes to our relationships with our friends and our health and making a difference in the world. And I said the very first week of this series, and I'll say it again, the busyness of our life, unfortunately, can keep us from the most important things in life if we don't live purposefully. So as we close this series today, I pray that we close overwhelmed with an overwhelming desire to change the routine of our life so that Jesus comes first and we make time for him every day. So that if we are married, our spouse comes second and we make time for them every day. And so that if we're parents, our kids have a very important spot in our heart and we make time for them every day. And we use our evenings, every evening that we can possibly use, we use. We use our Sabbaths, every Sabbath that we can possibly use, we use. And we use these feast weeks. We, we purposefully take time to sacrifice, to invest, to get away, to change our pace and our place so we can get our eyes focused back on Jesus who has never taken his eyes off of us. But it feels that way sometimes. So as we close this series and... And I head to Mother's Day next week and 
a pretty cool series in Acts 6 and 7 at the end of the month. I just want to pray with you. So can we pray together? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.